Hello and welcome to Late Night with Father Kelly. Except that, by the grace of God, it's actually only 4.30 in the afternoon. Now, I'm supposed to be leaving somewhere at 5 o'clock, so uh, maybe I can get this done by then. We'll see. It was 48 minutes last time. I don't think I have 48 minutes to say this time, uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, shout out real quick to the sweet new Wi-Fi that we have uh, here at the parish. Uh, we have ditched AT&T and gone to Dobson, a more local company. Um, AT&T, anytime you called somebody, like the, the actual people on the phone and the, lo- the, the the repair folks who would come out, always fine. Lovely people to deal with. But the service itself was awful. And it's just become a, a bigger and bigger burden and was really getting in the way of stuff. So thank you to a parishioner who helped set us up with Dobson. And uh, it's so nice to have this uh, better service. Um, as, as an analogy or as a comparison, just to let you know what we're talking about. I record Mass every Sunday, and it's a 75-minute video. And even at the lowest quality, 580p, it would take three to four hours to upload that video on what we had. Now, that same video uploads in three minutes. So even though I only have uh, now 27 minutes to record this before I have to go somewhere, uh, this whole thing will upload, You know, both this video on YouTube and the audio on SoundCloud, will upload in a matter of minutes. And so uh, that greatly, greatly reduces the burden. So uh, from a parish standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, I'm incredibly grateful for uh, all the people that have made this change over to new internet happen. Uh, you don't realize how much of a burden something is. You know, how to, like, you know, it's like when you have a really old car that breaks down all the time, you get used to it. When you finally get a new car, you realize, oh, wow, this, I can't believe I spent so long with the old one. So uh, praise God for... Uh, this new resource, you know, we don't need technology for the gospel technically, but in a practical way, it sure does help. So I just want to give a note, a shout out to that. Thank you to Dobson for making this possible. Some of you may know that I am an Oklahoma State basketball fan, particularly. I went to college there. I've always liked college basketball. And so it is a great relief that we are finally back in the NCAA tournament and with a promising position. You know, OSU snuck in as, as low seeds, you know, eight, nine seeds before with uh, earlier coaches, uh, but it uh, never really felt so good. This year, we're a four seed, which actually feels like a slight to get only a four seed. Uh, much of the national media was really, uh, we're pick, picked as a two seed in most cases, uh, but we got picked as a four seed. So on one hand, praise God we're there, but... As a long-suffering OSU fan, you know, we're kind of like Cubs fans. We're, uh, we don't know what to do with ourselves when we're successful. Uh, this this whole run where OSU uh, beat, like, you know, we played, what, nine ranked teams in a row and beat eight of them or something like that, or, or uh, eight out of ten, I think it was. An incredible run. Uh, and, you know, it seemed like when we got to the championship game versus Texas, who cakewalked into it, come on, Kansas, really? You kind of cost us that. Um it didn't seem right. You know, I was not surprised that we lost that game because it was just, it would have been too obvious for that. And so we had this odd setback right before the tournament. And so now as an OSU fan, used to being disappointed, honestly, uh, we are this high seed and mathematically we should make the Sweet 16. And yet, I'm preparing myself, and I hate this, for us to lose in the first round to number 14 seed Liberty. 
because that would just feel like the most OSU thing to happen to get this far and then have it, you know, the rug ripped out at the very last second. We should obviously have won the Big 12 championship, but circumstances that we couldn't have expected wrecked that. And now, wouldn't it just be perfect if we totally flop and lose to Liberty in the first round? Ugh. I can just feel it happening. I, I just, I'm already preparing for the disappointment of that. I don't like that. That's not a good thing. And so I've been thinking about, you know, A, I don't want to be Coach Boynton, God bless him, because how do you how do you go from this huge momentum and suddenly you you've kind of got stuck in a weird spot? Like it just it was everything was going great, going great, going better than you even thought it would. And then it's like, oh, what? You know, you're you're about to get the big promotion, and then suddenly the boss who's gonna promote you, you know, resigns and doesn't promote you yet. You're like, what is it is it still gonna happen? Do we can we still trust that good things are gonna go forward? And so there is a necessity to be present in mind to not let despair run away and to remain in hope. To look back objectively, we have all the reasons in the world, a huge amount of of reason to expect that OSU should have no problem whatsoever uh, playing in the first and second round even. There will definitely be a higher seed than everybody they play for those first two games for sure. And it should go nice and smoothly. Uh, There shouldn't be a problem. Yet that, that little worry, that nagging bit like, yeah, but we're not used to being successful. Why should we expect it? And so that... That fear versus hope is a very interesting thing. It's what makes sports exciting. But also it's a metaphor for the Christian life too. Uh, not that I'm you know, canonizing OSU basketball. Uh, faith is certainly far more important than the passing thing of sports. But it does, um, it, is, it is analogous at least, in that uh, you know, oftentimes the church doesn't seem like things are going well. It uh, doesn't seem like it's going to win out like, it, like, like Christ promised that it will. But... As variable as sports is, the church is not. There's ups and downs of difficult times, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, we may think we have difficulties now, and it looks like the uh, you know the seeds are stacked against us. To use a sports analogy, uh, you know, the church sometimes seems like the 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 16 seed playing the number one overall seed, uh, but here she is, over 2,000 years after the founding, and despite having been tried to intentionally be destroyed multiple times by everybody under the sun, here she is. And so, um, as difficult as it might be to hope for OSU basketball, there is always hope with the church, because she has not failed and will not fail. And that idea of hope is important. Uh, I think it's, it's something that's often lacking in the responses to COVID. And what I mean is, very often, you know, easy to say from Oklahoma, where we are um, very relaxed about such things here. Um, I think probably too much. Um, but on the other hand, there, there's there's a whole opposite extreme where people are absolutely overcome and crippled with paranoia and despair. And what I want to propose is that the right, the um, the Christian way, the Christian freedom, is somewhere in between. Because if we really believe in the promises of Christ and the resurrection and the good of the church in the uh, power of God over the world, 
then that lends us a certain confidence that even though things do seem like a mess out there, and it is, it is sometimes legitimately dangerous and scary, there is also a, a detached kind of freedom that we don't have to be all caught up into the terrors of the moment because uh, there is a hope beyond the moments of this life. Um, and so now, it's not either that, well, we're Christians, we don't have to be scared, we can do whatever we want. You know, a reckless abandon in terms of, you know, caring for others and caring for ourselves, uh, you know, that's not right either. Uh, to use a less serious analogy, uh, it would be definitely wrong to say, well, I'm a Christian, I have eternal life, so I'm going to eat cheeseburgers every day. Who cares if I gain a million pounds and have a heart attack? Well, that's stupid and irresponsible. Uh, but neither do we have to uh, be absolutely mortified that we might have a grain too much of salt because, you know, to, to make ourselves miserable to save life, well, we don't really save anything at all. If we've uh, ruined it to save it, well, that's no good either. So do not hear me as disregarding caution and common sense and, you know, reasonable, um, you know, reasonable cautions for engaging, you know, re, you know, having events and whatever. Yes, we do not have, it is not appropriate to be needlessly putting lives in danger. However, we also do not need to be, we do not need to needlessly be burdening ourselves with fears and anxieties that are uh, out of line with what the reality of the situation is. No, everywhere is different. Everywhere has different circumstances. Uh, but it's always worth asking, and a good thing to ask, especially as a Christian, does my response to this situation show faith, show the, the presence of faith and hope at the same time as caution and prudence? Because there's always the need to keep those things, well, you can't ever have too much faith and hope, um, but you can have too much caution and prudence. Uh, you could say you could have too much hope in a reckless sense, but then that's not really hope anymore. But I hope you see what I mean, that it's it's important to concern ourselves with being prudent and wise, but also being faithful and having hope. And that and in that balance of those two things, you know, two extremes you might look at them as, there's that's where the actual freedom is, that we are cautious and take care of things necessary, uh, but this dog barking, I think someone's at the front door. Uh, we take everything necessary, but we're not paralyzed by that fear. So in that line, I want to move on to my homily for this weekend because it does treat with this sort of thing. The last two homilies, the last two weeks, have been rather big and serious homilies uh, with with uh, weighty claims in them. But this weekend was Leitare Sunday, and so I wanted to give something a little bit um, lighter in the assertions in it, but... Still very important. Imagine a good, relaxing moment or time. You know, we've had a couple thunderstorms lately. Maybe you like watching the rain. Uh, certainly I do. Uh, maybe you like to sit quietly and read a book. Maybe go for a walk. You know, going to an art museum could be a kind of thing. Um, that, those moments of peaceful recollection. You know, we know the world is happening out there and whatever chaos there might be. Um, but to be reserved within ourselves in the midst of that is a very Christian thing. It's how Christians are supposed to be. You know, imagine St. Paul in his travels. Very often he was he was shipwrecked and persecuted and scourged and you know, was hungry and all those sorts of things. 
but he never despaired. He never, you know, oh, woe is me. Why is this happening? Uh, this is the worst thing in the world. No, he never goes into that. Despite all the dramas, he always has this peaceful reserve about him. He knows what he is about. He trusts in the Lord. And he, you know, suppose he's shipwrecked somewhere. It's not, oh, well, I was going somewhere else and how awful that I didn't get to go there. But rather, well, here is where I am. Let me make the best of where I am and, and you know, do what God wants me to do here. And so uh, he always had uh, that simple state of mind. Not that what he was doing was actually simple. You know, not that he was just reading a book and going for a walk. But he was always at peace as if he were just reading a book or watching a thunderstorm or going for a walk. He didn't let the world uh, drag him into chaos, even though chaos was out there. He didn't let the chaos inside. So it doesn't mean ignoring whatever may be happening in our lives or in the world, but it means being content and relaxed because we know that Jesus is our Savior. In the Gospel for this weekend, we get one of the most famous verses, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. This doesn't mean that we are just free to do whatever we want. Remember, the warning from the first reading still applies, wherein the princes of Judah are unfaithful to the Lord. They reject God in favor of other gods, and they suffer greatly for it. In Jerusalem, the walls are torn down, the people are captured, um, you know, everything of value is taken. Because they they said, well, let's do whatever we want and you know, worship whatever gods we want. And, uh, you know, they went everywhere except where God told them to go. And they paid greatly for it. So being in God doesn't mean, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. Uh, but if we are in God, if we are faithful and obedient to him, then, then we are free to be happy. As St. Paul says in the second reading, in our transgressions, we are dead. In our sin, there is no happiness, there is no life, no rest, no joy. But if Christ is our Savior, then we are at peace, no matter what is happening out there. Because of original sin, though, we prefer darkness to light. But darkness is not the state of a Christian. With Christ, we reject the darkness. He offers immeasurable grace, he offers immeasurable riches of his grace, the abundance of his light. If you want this... Then be faithful to him. God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that which is and was most precious. He gave him for you and for me. In Christ we are free, not because we ignore our problems or do whatever we want, but because we know, we know there's a power in our, on our side greater than any evil or suffering that there could possibly be. As Christians, we can be aware of the storm out there, but we know that we are safe in Christ our Savior. To emphasize this even more, I was, well, I didn't read the book, this book of the saints to emphasize this, but it turns out that it does emphasize what I was just speaking on. I have um, a little book from Bishop Barron. I didn't think to bring it in here with me, but it's uh, Pivotal Players. It uh, goes through certain lives of the saints that he sees are, are particularly important. Uh, the first ones were, let's see, we had Augustine, St. Augustine, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Catherine of Siena were the ones that I just read. And so um, reading these saints, I was, I was reminded of the topic of the homily, um, what, what I would call 
uh, at the masses this week, and I, I said this during the announcements time, you know, but there's that freedom in Christ that I spoke of in the homily, but to get there, to have that, we need to be present to the moment, you know, sort of in a practical way, do practical steps to be present to the moment, and then we can be uh, aware of the godly things. And that means like literally going for a walk, you know, putting your phone down, watching the thunderstorm, uh, don't be answering emails constantly, don't be, you know, going, going, going. And so two things about the reading of the book that, that pointed this back to me. One, just the reading, just the fact of reading something good and meaningful brings rest to the mind. It, 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 you know, even though it's, it's work in a way, it's not just mindlessness. Um, mindlessness is almost never a good thing. Um, it's, it's something beautiful, you know, good, true and beautiful that, that lifts up, you know, it actually causes rest, even though it is, you know, technically learning and, and sort of working in a way, um, just by its very being good, true and beautiful, it is refreshing and causes rest. But then even more so thinking of, of the saints themselves that I was reading about, they were busy people. You know, Thomas Aquinas did not just sit around doing nothing. He was a very busy man. You know, he wrote really an unfathomable amount of works. And yet, he is always, you know, interiorly, quietly disposed. He's, he's wrestling with all these difficult topics and substantial topics, but he's always at peace. Same thing, Catherine of Siena. She was a mystic, a saint, a very holy woman for sure. But she was traveling all over the world, you know, reconciling popes and world leaders. And yet, she was always at peace interiorly. She always had uh, that undistracted reality, the vision of undistracted reality. Uh, she knew who she was, she what she was about, what her relationship with God was. And she was at peace in that. And it was only at peace in that, that she was able to be the saint that she is. And so... Uh, it's so important as a Christian to be concerned with having that undistracted reality, to be present to the moment, to be present to where you are, to be present to what's going on in a way that is realistic and authentic, but is not allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed. I think that's one of the major problems, you know, why we have so much drama in the world is because everyone's reacting from their from their first sort of animal kind of instinct, you know, their first anger, their first self-righteousness, and it's not from a re- recollected state. So they say things, you know, more severely, more intensely, um, less accurately, uh, less authentically than they than they ought to be said, and you know, whole systems rise and fall based on this emotional, emotional, unthought-out response. Now, what happens is that uh, people even take, you know, they think, well, I'm very smart, I read lots of books, and they, they intellectualize this sort of immediate response. They justify it with a book learning, but there still is lacking a rested presence of mind. And that, you know, immediate action out of a place of unrest, out of you know, distracted falsity, then you get all kinds of honestly terrible ideas because people aren't present to uh, what there really is. Uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a militant intellectualism or sort of a self-righteous advocacy that doesn't actually uh, come from a place of 
honest and authentic understanding, but rather it's, sort of, it's, it's an emotional punch that says, well, I got to do this now, and this is how I feel about it, and this must be right because of that. But none of the saints work that way. None of the truly holy people, none of the people who are truly happy work that way. And working out of that sort of um, immediate, unreflected sort of intentionality, you might call it, is a way to be unhappy and miserable because we're never actually at rest. We're just always on edge and pushing and pushing and going. Again, it's not that you don't do work. There are lots of, the saints illustrate that one can be doing lots of things, but do them from a state of rest and purpose and authenticity and happiness. And that's what we want. That's that's the important distinction. I'm make one more note on that on that authenticity. It's a it's a sort of more minor point, but just to share um, you know, my mistake to learn from. Uh, speaking of authentic authenticity and care with your ideas, be careful what you listen to as well. Uh, be you know what you read all applies. But uh, yesterday I was listening to something. Uh, you know, I thought of an old stand-up comedian that I thought was funny back in the day. I looked it up and you know, kind of laughed at the recollection of it. But he had some choice words that I had forgotten were in there. You know, I didn't look it up for that. I just remembered the, that the jokes were funny. I just listened to it. I thought, yeah, I forgot that part was in there. But I was like, you yeah, know, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and finish it. Well, I shouldn't have done that because what happened later in the day, I was giving a talk to a group. Um, doesn't matter who or where or what. But I was giving a talk and I was making a, a particularly emphatic point in the talk. And some of those choice words from before came out. Now, maybe they made the point, uh, but it made the point in a way more colorful than I really meant. Uh, and it was because I had heard this stand-up comedian earlier in the day, which had been funny, but I had you know seasoned my mind, if you will, uh, with these words I wouldn't normally use. And so when it came to a moment of sort of trying to make an emphatic point, these words that I didn't intend are what came out. Because I wasn't rested, I wasn't recollected as well as I should have been. Um, if I had had the the talk that I was giving uh, more internalized and more intentionally prepared and been more at rest myself and not listen to things I shouldn't listen to, that wouldn't have been a problem. And so it just, you know, it's a minor point, really. It's not... a that weighty of a, you know, not that weighty of a thing. Uh, but the fact, it, il- it illustrates the point that um, to do things well and right and happily and be at rest, we need that internal self-awareness, that contentedness that comes from a true place, from a true knowledge of self and a knowledge of God. And in that place, we can do things well, remain at rest, and in whatever we do, whatever circumstance we find ourselves, be happy when and it went be happy with that and and in that so I hope this is uh, something that is helpful again to keep in mind um, you know I'm not a philosopher I don't uh, claim to have you know deep book worthy insights but I do like to, to um, kind of give these things that I notice and maybe correlate them a little bit and uh, perhaps give a little help to honestly for myself to say them out loud, but also to you to um, seek those places of rest, to um, be happier, more peaceful, um, especially to rest in the Lord and let good things in life come from that place of rest. God bless. 